Lord, I want to thank you for the way that you have welcomed us. And I pray that you would remind us of that welcome during this time and that you would teach us what it means to welcome in the name of Jesus. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so, in reading Luke's Gospel, one of the things that has struck me over the last few years, probably the last five, is how continuous the story is. It's the transition from Luke's first volume into the second volume, and the fact that Easter doesn't end. Easter is something that we're invited into, and Luke artfully and carefully arranges these stories so that we see the early disciples of Jesus continuing the ongoing work of Jesus. Jesus, the stuff that Jesus did in his life on this earth, Jesus continues to do. He takes on the form of a different body. And so we talk about the body of Christ as the church. And as we talk about the body of Christ, I think we remind ourselves that Easter doesn't end with the announcement of resurrection. Easter is something that we are invited into. Um, we talk a lot about the time after Easter, right? So it was the week after Easter. How many of you had your churches full on Easter Sunday, right? There are more people than have been in our churches in a long time, and then we come to the next week where we kind of shrink back down to normal size, yes? Um, and we talk about the week after Easter. Uh, but if you pay attention to the Christian calendar, if you were to look up this week's text in the lectionary, you will notice it's not referred to as the, the second or third Sunday after Easter, uh, but the second Sunday of Easter, the third Sunday of Easter. And it's a not-so-subtle reminder that Easter doesn't end with the announcement of resurrection, that we are invited to participate in the ongoing work of Christ. Um, I think one of the reasons... Uh, we see people walking away from our churches as we have failed to articulate a mission worth, worth living and dying for. When the mission of the church becomes how do we get people to sin less and attend more, perhaps we shouldn't be surprised when fewer and fewer people want to give their lives to that mission. Uh, and we all nod our heads. We say, yes, the church has a bigger mission than escaping hell and avoiding sin. We know that. The church has a bigger mission than asking people to attend services. And yet, how much of our attention is devoted to that mission? Uh, I wonder how many of my meetings, how many of our elder meetings, how much of our energy, how much of our language rallies around this mission of how do we get people to attend services? How do we get people to attend more often? How do we get those people who were there at Easter to come back the next week? How do we get people who aren't here in our place? How do we keep people there? I've heard a lot of that this week. How, how do we keep people who are in church still in church? How do we get people who are here in church to attend more often? Right? How do we get people in classes again? How many of our meetings are devoted to that? And the mission, the default mission of the church, often becomes how do we get people to attend services. But I, I think what Jesus invites us into is, is more that is deeper than simply becoming a member of a church. Jesus invites us into a movement. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me into the world. 
And one of the ways that I believe we follow Jesus is learning to welcome people as we have been welcomed. Uh, so what I want to spend the hour in today is thinking about what it means to welcome as we have been welcomed. We're going to read uh, the very end of Luke's gospel, this odd story of welcoming a stranger and what it means for Jesus to identify with the stranger. But before we turn to that odd and familiar text, um, I want to give just a thumbnail sketch of what it is like to live as a stranger in our cities across this country. Uh, you have a handout. If you don't, there should be one next to you. The UNHCR handout that just has some facts about what it's like to be a refugee and the refugee resettlement process in America. I'm not going to read the handout to you, but it's worth a little bit of time. Uh, I suspect you will learn a few things about the process of refugee resettlement and perhaps uh, a few things about your <coughs> own city. Um, refugees, as they are resettled, typically get about 90 days of services. So as, you're, um, as you come into the, this country, as you are resettled uh, from a refugee camp, you get three months three months and relatively few funds, and then at the end of that three-month process, you are expected to be self-sufficient. Uh, refugees are responsible for travel expenses. If you are a refugee who's resettled, what um, I didn't know before the last year is that means you get an IOM loan. You repay that IOM loan. So if you're a family of nine, if you're living in Tanzania in a refugee camp or in Uganda, and you get the call that you're going to be resettled. By the way, you don't get a choice of where you're going to be resettled. You're not consulted. You're going to go. Here's the country, your family of nine, your airfare. You get to pay that back. In a matter of months, you start making payments towards that IOM loan. Only a small fraction of refugees actually get resettled. Also a misnomer. Um, the, the handout you have says less than 5% of refugees who've been forced to leave their country because of threats of violence. Only 5% of those refugees get resettled. And then of that 5%, certainly with the current administration, we are taking a small, small, small fraction of those refugees. So we're only talking about a few people who get resettled. And then you think about that. Another misnomer is um, a lot of us have this idea in our heads that people come as refugees they live in a refugee camp for a few weeks or a few months, and then they're resettled. Um, almost never. So it, it's years. The, the two families that I've got to know the best um, through our work in Nashville, one was in a refugee camp in Uganda for almost eight years, another in Tanzania for almost 20. <coughs> so you're talking about kids who never knew Congolese families, but kids who never grew up in the Congo. Uh, their parents did. And so... I want you to imagine, before we turn to this story about welcoming the stranger, what it's like to be a stranger in your own city. Imagine being forced to leave your country. You didn't want to leave. You didn't ask to leave. You had to leave. You pack up your family. Imagine being in a new country, not once, but at least twice. Right? You had to leave your country. Uh, you went to a refugee camp, and now you are going into another country. Imagine being in a new country, in a new city with a new language, likely, um, and you are trying to find your feet. 
only it's not an overseas travel program through Pepperdine. It is where you had to go to save your family's life. Uh, imagine being in a new city and now you have three months, three months, be warmed and filled, and then you are expected to be self-sufficient. Imagine being a stranger in your city. And now let's come back to this odd, familiar story at the end of Luke's gospel um, about being and seeing strangers. So... At the end of Luke's gospel, we get um, a story about two disciples. And these two disciples are walking to a village called Emmaus. It's seven miles from Jerusalem. They're walking and they're talking and there's a lot to talk about, right? They're they're talking about what has happened and then they see um, this stranger. Jesus appears to them, but they don't know it's Jesus. And so they begin interacting with this stranger, and the stranger says, what are you talking about? And they say, are you the only stranger in the city who hasn't heard? Who doesn't know what happened to Jesus the Christ? And so they begin to tell them this story, a story that includes the passion, a story that includes an empty tomb and a lot of mystery. And they talk to this stranger about the story. And then the stranger asks them, how slow are you to believe? They keep walking. They keep talking. They come to a fork in the road. The stranger keeps walking. He's going to leave. And they say, wait, 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 wait. Because it's night. The day's almost over. And they say, come in with us. Right? Which is strange in and of itself. There's this man that they just met hours ago. And they welcome in this stranger. So they welcome the stranger in, and what happens when they go into the house? Remember? remember? They realize it's Jesus. They realize. When do they realize? When he broke bread. When they broke bread. When they're breaking bread with a stranger, which if you've been reading Luke's gospel, this shouldn't surprise you. But they've welcomed the stranger. They're breaking bread with a stranger. And when they are breaking bread with a stranger, they realize this isn't a stranger. This is Jesus the Christ. It's an odd story, right? It's odd. Why, how did they not recognize Jesus? Why didn't they recognize him? Why didn't Jesus say, it's me, right? Five minutes into the journey, why didn't Jesus say, it's me? Why does Jesus disappear in the end? And what is it about breaking bread with a stranger that opens their eyes? That opens their eyes so that they are able to see Jesus. It is an odd story, but it is our story. In fact, we hear echoes of earlier stories that point to things that we learned about God a long time ago. Even when Israel was in Egypt, we knew of God's devotion, God's identification with the stranger, the foreigner, and the vulnerable. We think about Leviticus 19. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as a citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You hear the identification that God has with the vulnerable and with the stranger. Deuteronomy 10. You shall love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And then we hear echoes Of Jesus' own words. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was what? A stranger. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. That's Luke 24. That is the story of Luke 24. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. It was an odd story. It is an odd story, but it is our story. And I'm guessing you showed up to this class uh, because you've seen it happen. You've watched this happen over and over and over again. Sometimes you read a text and you say, that's, that's odd. That would be awesome if that happened. But this is one of those texts where I think we read it and we say, yeah, I get it. I've watched that happen because you sit down with a stranger. You extended a hand to someone who needed help. You welcomed someone who needed welcoming and you saw Jesus in the process. It was at a table, you were with a stranger and all of a sudden, it was your eyes that were opened. Uh, we talk a lot about the needs of the stranger, the vulnerable, the immigrant, the orphan, the widow. Uh, we talk about needs when we're peddling a ministry, certainly. We talk about the needs of the vulnerable people that we're trying to serve, right? The needs of the stranger. We could do a whole series of classes about refugees and the needs associated with refugee resettlement. We talk about the needs of the stranger but we don't talk an awful lot about our need for the stranger. Yeah. So we, we talk about being Jesus, but we rarely talk about seeing Jesus among the poor and the vulnerable. Um, there is a man who operates a restaurant in Nashville. If you're ever in Nashville, look up the cookery. Uh, it's an amazing restaurant where this man who... Is an accomplished chef, um, but he teaches homeless men and women culinary arts because he wants to give them a way to get a living wage. And when Brent came and he talked to our church, uh, he talked about the blessing that he receives. Brandon, he was homeless once. He talks about the blessing that he continually receives. And one of the things he told our church that has stuck with me, he said, there are colors in the rainbow that I think you will never see or appreciate until you know the poor and God's work among them. Right? This isn't just the needs of the stranger, but that is, this is our need for the stranger. And we often act surprised, surprised to see Jesus in these places. We often talk about the need to carry Jesus into dark places, right? We need to take Jesus into these places, and we get surprised because Jesus is already in those places. Jesus... Uh, predates us. Jesus has run before us. We act surprised to see Jesus here, but we shouldn't be because this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. And again, we talk about being Jesus, being Jesus to the least, being Jesus to people. I think we should learn to talk more about seeing Jesus in people. Seeing Jesus in the face of all people, because all people are created in the image of God. Amen? Amen. All people. And I believe when we start welcoming, we start seeing. Uh, William Blake Not this. I sought my soul, but my soul I could not see. I sought my God, but my God eluded me. I sought my neighbor, and I found all three. 
Um, another question that has stuck with me from Frederick Bruner. Um, who are the least significant, the most unattractive, unimpressive people in our world? Bruner says, find those people and you find Jesus. See, we start welcoming and we start seeing. And when we start seeing, you start seeing Jesus everywhere. Not just in the traditional places that we have relegated Jesus to, in the sanctuary, in the churches. And again, what's the mission? Get people to attend the services. Now we see Jesus is alive and well. Jesus is at work in our world. And we start seeing Jesus in the faces of a struggling co-worker. You start seeing Jesus in the burdened eyes of a mom, a single mom, a refugee family, an immigrant family who, who made their way into the city. You start seeing Jesus in the lives of the poor and the most unpopular, and it was breaking bread with a stranger. That's where they were. They were breaking bread with a stranger when they saw Jesus. And so I believe if you want to see Jesus... If we want to see Jesus, we need to start looking at the people Jesus associates with. The lonely, the outcast, the forgotten, the stranger. Jesus said, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Mother Teresa spoke of learning to recognize Jesus in all his distressing disguises. Right? That's what Luke 24 is. It's another one of those distressing disguises. And yes, it's an odd story, but it is our story. And when we welcome the stranger... We start seeing again. I want to spend most of the rest of the, the time uh, talking about ways that I see this happening. Uh, so I'm from Nashville. I've uh, been there less than two years. Nashville right now has a rapidly expanding immigrant refugee population, but Nashville's not unique. In fact, it doesn't even make the top ten in terms of refugee states who are receiving uh, resettlements. We get a lot of secondary resettlements. Uh, but in my city... In Nashville Metro Schools, there are over 120 languages spoken. Right? 120 languages. Uh, and uh, well before the time that I arrived at Woodmont Hills, the church was sensing this call. If we want to do something, we feel called to do something to receive the refugee families who are being resettled to our city. They're sensing this call. Uh, new friends, new families is one expression. It is one of our attempts to welcome people the way that we have been welcomed. And so what we do with New Friends, New Families is we partner uh, with one of the agencies. There are two in Nashville. There used to be three. World Relief had to close um, in Nashville. But currently, it is NICE and Catholic Charities who are resettling refugees. And we partner with one of those agencies, and we are pairing small groups. Right? How many of your churches have small groups? Right? Have these small groups, or if you don't have small groups, you have Bible classes, you have smaller groups of people. We are pairing small groups with refugee families who are being resettled. I told you that you get 90 days of services. After those 90 days work out, agencies are amazing. Catholic Charities and NICE are amazing. They continue to do as much as they can, um, but they're limited in what they can provide. So as those 90 days run out, we pair them with a small group, and we say, we want to help you find your feet in the new city. We want to do some of the things that the agency can't do. Have a brief video that will give you some idea of the work that we're involved in. For folks who are seeking refugees, so some of us may not realize that Nashville is a hub 
for folks who are seeking refugee status in the United States. Nashville has a large population of resettled families who have come from all over the world. Can't even imagine what it must be like to leave a place that is home, to come to a new city, a new country, a new culture, a new way of doing life and to try to learn all of those things and to learn it in isolation, to learn it without a support system, to learn it without community or family. New Friends New Families is a way to welcome new refugee families as they are being resettled to our city. And so in groups of six to 10 volunteers, you are paired with a new refugee family. And for a six month commitment, you help that family find their feet in a new city. So it's simple things like getting them to English as second language resources. Uh, let's figure out the transit system together. Uh, transportation to healthcare and appointments. We're going to go to the grocery store. We're just going to hang out on a Saturday afternoon and uh, hang out with our new friends. Or we're going to go to the zoo. It really is as simple as we want to welcome people the same way that we have been following. The moment that it just clicked for me was when Hannah from NICE, she said, they just need someone to be their friend. Well, I can do that. I know how to be a friend. Like, I don't know how to work the bus system, and I don't know how to speak Swahili, but I can be someone's friend. And, like, through this experience, like, that is exactly what it's been. I need to be that person who is going to open up my door. And uh, hospitality doesn't just mean my house. It means my space, that, that I let other people into my space that's so important to me to, to be like Jesus in that way. He is the creator of every single human being and we are all here to work on this together. And there's no us, them, it's all together. And that's how he created us, together. So I believe, I so truly believe that God is uh, blessing our church and our church members by bringing these families to us. We have for some newcomers that are associated with mentors from Mount Hill Church. When we uh, arrived here in Nashville, we were sleeping on, on the floor in the house. We didn't have any, any, any mattress to rest the night. All my children were sleeping in the on the floor, but um, this sister, I mean, says my sister, my brother, when uh, he, he come here, he see we have uh, a battle life, he begin to help us. Um, until now, they help us until now, that I can say thank you so much for that. God bless you. We're all his people, people all over the earth. Uh, he wants them to, to be his. And, uh, and we should reach out to people all over from everywhere. Because we're all made in his image. Being with this family has taught me and it's making me realize that I can do more in this community for people who are just new to this country, and I love that.
they become friends. They become family. They become part of who we are. It is not that we are teaching them, it is that we are learning from each other. Being involved in the birth of a child was something that was definitely a stretch for me. I was not expecting that yeah. at yeah, all. Not at all. <laughs> we, we were there in the delivery room. She wanted us there. The mother wanted us there very much. I didn't expect to become a part of the family. Yeah, but we are a part of this family now. Yeah. It's a really simple invitation. It's just a few hours a week and it's done in community. It's not just you by yourself. It's not even just your family. We ask you to join with other folks to, to walk alongside a family. Do it. First of all, if you're thinking about getting involved in this work, there's probably a reason you're thinking about it. There's a nudge there. Come on, we need you. <laughs> there are so many people, there are so many resources in this city that we can offer them. And I know a few, but other people know more. And so the more people we have involved in this work, the faster we can acclimate these families to this country, the faster they fit in, the faster they become more productive, and it just benefits us all. You need to be challenged in order to become a more compassionate person. It takes the focus off of yourself. It puts what you're thinking about selfishly for yourself onto someone else. I would hope that if I were in a new place, that there would be people there that would be willing to kind of like reach out and befriend me. This is a great opportunity. So we can talk about being Jesus to the least, uh, but this is really more about seeing Jesus, having our eyes open. That's what happened on the road to Emmaus. The disciples included a stranger, and in the process, they started seeing again. They started seeing Jesus. The, the couple that you saw pictured in the video, they kind of just dropped in one of those stories that we didn't expect to be in the delivery room. Um, by Michael and Beth Asbel um, met the family that they were paired with just months ago, but I remember the morning when she had to leave quickly from church because she got the text in Swahili, and she was the ride. She was the ride to the hospital, and so she scurried off with the family. She got the family uh, there at Vanderbilt, the hospital, and she said, okay, we're here, and she expected to leave, and they said, no, 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 we want you here. And they were in the room the whole time, and the baby came, and in fact, if you see the father, the time came for to cut the cord, and they said, you want to cut the cord? And he said, no way, I'm not doing that. And they looked at Beth, and they said, would you? And so here she is. She just met this family a couple months ago, but, but she's a part of their family, and they're a part of hers, and they've been in each other's homes, and, and something happened even in those few months, and I think everybody involved started seeing a little bit better. They started seeing Jesus. And, and, and it happens again and again and again. Uh, a few weeks ago, one of our new friends from this ministry his name is John, um, and John is struggling to find his, his place in a new city. And when you learn about the challenges associated with being a refugee and being resettled, you'll, you'll learn that transportation is often at the top of one of those lists. I mean, imagine trying to learn to drive and pass a test. I just taught, I have 
two or 19 in the house. We, we just went through that process. And learning to drive is difficult in and of itself, right? Many of you, you've taught your kids how to drive. But imagine being in a new country and trying to pass a driving test in another language. But he did that. And he worked hard at it. And he got his license. And he was ready to drive. And thanks to the generosity of somebody at the church, somebody gave him a car. It was a good car. It was a Lexus. And they went to present him with this car. And John said, actually, I, I've been saving. And I can, I can purchase a car. So I want you to take this car and bless one of the other newcomer families. And you saw Abdul in the video. Abdul lost his mind. He's like, I've never seen this anywhere. I've never seen Africa. I've seen it around the church. Somebody's gifted with a, a car. And they say, I want to bless one of the other newcomer families. Furthermore, he said, I want to use my car to teach families how to drive. I want to teach people what other people taught me. And I think, look, I mean, I have a lot in life, right? And if you hand me the keys to Alexis, I'm not sure my first instinct is how do I bless the other? Like, oh, yeah, I could take a little bit more. Once again, I think about the generosity of the family who gave the car. I think about John's generosity. And in the process, and we're just trying to welcome, welcome people who need to be welcomed. And in the process, we all start seeing. I start seeing life and the Lord a little bit better than I was before. Oh, you know, when I um, work for the Social Services Agency in um, Orange County, California, um, when social services gave out you know, all that they could give, give um, in terms of, um, you know, a check, monthly check or something like that to needy families. When the families didn't have, um, when the food ran out, they would seek other things, you know, from us, uh, bus pass or something like that. But we would always have a list like from Salvation Army because Salvation Army could do a lot of other things. And then you would have uh, Lutheran social services, Catholic social services, but never Church of Christ. Mm. Church of Christ was never on there. Mm. And I think on the list, the list was long, um, but I think uh, the Church of Christ mentality is that it would be overwhelming to serve the needs of a lot of poor people. And so they end up just doing like a food pantry and, yeah. you know, for so many years and then that'll fizzle out. But um, I, how do you get, get your um, group con congregation to say, um, these are the things we will do? Yeah. How, did, how did that come together? It, it, it can be overwhelming. Right? When you talk yeah. about any of these issues or challenges, it can be overwhelming. I think one thing I do want to say is uh, when we just sit back and we say that's overwhelming, it's overwhelming, it's overwhelming, I'm not going to do anything, we end up with an underwhelming view of God. Right? What we think that everything is on our shoulders to do and we forget that we're just joining God in the work that God is already doing. Uh, I think it also starts with seeing. I think everything starts with seeing. When I learn to see Jesus in the face of the vulnerable, then all of a sudden, I don't necessarily know what to do, but I know I have to do something, right? Mm -hmm. It's Jesus. I've, I've recognized Jesus among um, the stranger. And I, I think it, it's starting somewhere. So 
what we are doing with new friends new families is this small I mean it, it is it is tiny but it, it's something and it's something manageable I, I think so much is getting people around a common table and I think that's part of the power of the Luke 24 story it's breaking bread with a stranger so if I can get people around a common table and we can look each other in the eyes and see uh, the shared image of God in one another then we learn to do something we also learn um, to look at people not just through the lens of their needs but through their assets mm-hmm. I think that's huge when we're talking about refugees mm-hmm. when you talk about refugees you're talking about incredibly strong powerful gifted resourceful people and, and, and so it's not like we're going to go lift a hand down to these families who need we need each other in the midst of that and so new friends their families is an attempt to do that to say you know what we can't tackle the whole refugee crisis in the world right now, but what we can do is we can be a welcoming team to people who are being resettled to our city, and we're going to start with one family. So we're going to pair a small group with one family. It's a couple hours a week. It's not going to do everything, but it, it starts the beginning of seeing each other. And so I think, I think it really does start with seeing, with creating common tables where we're not just sitting around in a boardroom or an elders meeting saying, how are we going to do this? But we actually sit at the table and break bread with a stranger. I think it starts there. Uh, that won't fully answer your question, but if we don't get there and we don't learn to see, I don't know that we take another step. Um, th- these are places that we often don't expect to see Jesus. You know, we don't always expect to see Jesus. Well, I'm just going to... I'm going to go serve this family. I'm going to welcome a new family. Um, and yet, I, again, I don't know if we should be surprised because these are the places that Jesus said, I'm going to be. These are the people that I am going to identify with. Um, I think, again, about Matthew 25 and the surprising identification that Jesus makes. Jesus says, um, I came. I came to you. And whatever you did or didn't do for the least of these, uh, that's what you did to me. And we think about Jesus saying, I was hungry and you offered me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you were so unwelcoming. How many times can we say that right now? In the church in America, I was a stranger and you were so unwelcoming. I was stripped naked and needed clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't do or say anything. Whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. And here's the deal. If you invite me to your table, i got a big family, right? I have six kids. You invite me to your table, but you shun my family, I'm going to say just hold your invitation. I, I, don't, I, don't need, I don't need to come. If I am welcome, but my family is not welcome, then just hold the invitation. And it turns out Jesus is the same way. We say, Jesus, we have reserved seats for you. Jesus, we want you to show up. Jesus, will you meet us here in the sanctuary? Jesus. And Jesus says, do you have enough room for my friends? Is there a seat at the table for the vulnerable? Uh, Did you make room? And the more we know about God, the less surprised we will be that God continually identifies with the poor, the suffering, and the vulnerable. We saved seats for you. And Jesus says, is there room? I wonder, is there room in your church? Is there room in my church? Is there room in my living room? Is there room in my life for the outcast to have a full seat at the table? And not simply because someone becomes the object of my pity, 
but because I see the resemblance of our Father. Is there room in my life? Jesus' disciples include a stranger, and in doing so, they see Jesus. And it's happened to me over and over and over and over again. So about a month ago, I was scheduled to take Mr. Asakuru, who is 71 years old. He was a pastor in the Congo. He's in a refugee camp in Tanzania for almost 20 years. Uh, I was going to take him to the doctor. It was a Wednesday morning. Uh, it was a routine checkup. Uh, background is I, I was having a busy week. Right? I have six kids, a lot to do at work. Like everyone, it was a busy week. I didn't know, should I, should I get someone else to take him to the doctor? I haven't seen him in a little while. Okay, I can go. And so we went. I picked him up in his apartment. We went to the doctor. We're checking in for what is a routine appointment. Uh, the translation lines were down, which happens a lot in those settings. Um, but translation lines were down, so we're doing a lot of gesturing back and forth. And the nurse is checking him in, taking his vitals. And I, I noticed the expression on her face change as she takes blood pressure on this arm and then moves to the other arm. And then she looks at me and she says, he's not going to see this doctor, we're going to the ER. His blood pressure was dangerously high. Um, and so, again, try to imagine being in a space, you're going to the doctor, routine checkup, and then all of a sudden, um, doctor office in the hospital, um, he's put in a wheelchair, I'm scrambling, trying to get Abdul on the phone, who's, who speaks Swahili, I'm able to get him on the phone for just a second, he understands it's blood pressure, and then you're in a wheelchair, and you're being whisked down to the ER. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you're in this room, and you have more equipment hooked up to you than you've ever seen in your life. Right? You don't understand anything. Translation lines are still down. And uh, Makobwe Asakulu was sure this was the end. He was certain that this was the end. And even as his blood pressure started to come down, we're gesturing back and forth, but we can't really communicate that to him. And here I am. I thought I was just showing up to take him to the doctor. We're in the room. I'm scrambling to find Abdul. We have somebody else on staff who speaks a little bit of Swahili. I try to get him on the phone doesn't really work. I don't know what to do. Mr. Askulu speaks three or four languages. English is not one of them. He has just a handful of phrases, but he had enough to look at me and say, pastor, pray, <laughs> right? Like you do your job. He reminds me to do what I know how to do. And so I go over and I take his hand and I pray with him. And I don't, I don't know if he understood any of it, but, but we prayed. And as I finished the prayer and clenched his fist, he looked at me, and I swear, if you would have walked in in that moment, you would have thought he spoke perfect English for the three phrases that came out of his mouth next. He looked at me and said, Jesus is my life. I shook my head. And he said, God is our Father. <laughs> I said, yes, he is. And I backed away, not really knowing what to do with those things, and he looked at me, and he said, I know you love me. Now, what you, you won't know from just that story um, is the background of what was going on in my life that week. I told you I had a busy week. Um, it was also a really difficult season in our life. Uh, I'm preaching through a sermon series called Life Worth Living. We're talking about what it means to live a good life according to Jesus. And in the middle of that series, someone who's really close to me decided that um, 
she was pretty sure her life wasn't worth living. She's still with us, but there's another one who's not. Um, and and to say it was a, a busy day really understates what was going on kind of in my headspace. And I'm thinking, do I have time to get Mr. Asakulu to the doctor? And I really should be in the office. I should be in the study. I need to hear from God. I got to stand up on Sunday and deliver a word from God. What I didn't know is that I would hear a word from God. It didn't come in the study or in the text. It, it <coughs> came from a man who just months ago was a stranger. And, and those three phrases put a lot of things into perspective for me. Jesus is my life. I mean, he, he thought it was the end. He knew it was the end. He was, he was praying when Abdul got there. He said, you know, pray and God forgive me. I have this loan from somebody in a refugee camp and I've been able to repay some of it, but not all of it. I mean, he is sure that he's not. And then he looks at me, clear face, Jesus is my life. God is our father. You know, that phrase right there will put a lot of things into perspective. God is our father. And then there's only been a handful of times in my life where I thought, I, I think I heard the voice of, I verbally heard the voice of God. But when he looked at me, man, it, I mean, he only has a handful of phrases. And he says, I know you love me. I heard the voice of God from a stranger. And all of a sudden, my eyes are open. And I start seeing. I, I showed up that day because I felt like I needed help. And I wanted to serve. And I needed to be a little bit welcoming. But it, I promise you the blessing of the day belonged to me. And it's my eyes that were open, and I started seeing, and it happens again and again and again and again. We, we, we talk about the needs of the stranger, but we don't talk about enough about our need for the stranger. Right? When we learn to recognize Jesus, the face of Jesus in people, then I, I don't know that we intuitively know exactly what to do or how to do it, but we know we've got to do something. And, and the other thing that happens on... Uh, the road to Emmaus is this stranger um, meets the disciples and it's the stranger who explains the story. Do you remember that part? The, the stranger explains the scriptures. And I think one of the things that happens to us as we sit down to break bread with the stranger is we get reminded of our own story. When I hear some of the rhetoric that comes from Christians in our churches around immigrants and refugees, I hear the evidence of people who have forgotten our story. We forgot our story. And, and sometimes it takes a stranger to, to, to open our eyes to where we remember our story. And, and I think again about Matthew 25. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 25. So you get this list four different times in Matthew 25. I was hungry. Right, to the people who helped and to the people who don't help. I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a stranger, I was sick and in prison. Four different times in Matthew 25. And, and if you're like me, you start to kind of fast forward and you're like, I've heard the story, I've heard Matthew 25. Like uh, Kids listening to their parents, I got it the first time or the second time, you didn't need to give it to me three times or certainly four times, but four times. Hungry, thirsty, stranger, sick, in prison. Hungry, thirsty, stranger, sick, in prison. Hungry, thirsty, stranger, sick, in prison. But it was... It took way more than four times. So I, I started to see that, that, that these are things that Jesus took on for our sake. He doesn't just speak kind words over the poor. He became poor so that we might be rich. Mm -hmm. right? he, he, he doesn't just identify in 
some way of I have compassion for the stranger. He became a stranger. And so if you take this list, hungry, thirsty, stranger, sick, and in prison, and you think about the story of Jesus, you just work from the bottom up. He was in the garden when they came for him. And Jesus, the Christ, the creator, was incarcerated. Jesus went to jail. I let that sink in. Jesus was in prison. He was sick. He was sick enough that he was sweating blood. And when his health was fading, his friends were leaving. He was naked. They stripped him naked and gambled over his clothing. He was a stranger. Let that sink in. The son of God who created the world was a stranger in the world he created. Jesus was a refugee. He had to flee his home country with his family for the threat of violence. Let that sink in. And we think he was thirsty. He cried out for a drink on the cross. He was hungry. And it wasn't just once when he was fasting in the wilderness. Jesus doesn't just speak kind words over the poor. He doesn't just have compassion for the vulnerable. He became poor so that we might be rich. He was a stranger so that we might be welcomed at the table. And I think sometimes we forget our story. We've adopted another story, a false gospel, an American story that said we pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. But we have a seat at the table because he's made room for us. And that's the other thing that happens on the Emmaus Road is we get reminded of our own story. Mr. Asakula reminded me of that story. Jesus is my life. God is our father. I know you love me. And I remember that we make room. We make room for people because he made room for us. We receive people because he received us. Um, we receive people not because we're shamed into it by some pastor, not because we think we, it's something we have to do. We receive people because we remember our story. He took on these things for our sake. And so my encouragement to you is to expand your table. F find a, a way to break bread with strangers. Find a way to get across the table with the immigrants and refugees who live in your city. What we're doing, we're still learning, is one possible way. It is not the only way. But, but I, I do believe it happens over and over and over again. And we've got to learn to, to make room for people the way he made room for us. And when we do... When we get that mission, I think we give people something worth living and dying for. right? If the only mission that we articulate in church is we need people to attend our services, then we can't be surprised when they opt out. But, but if we give people a mission that we want to welcome people the same way we've been welcomed, okay, sign me up for that. I, I will give my life to that cause. Expand your table. Find a way for the leaders in your church, for the people in your family, to get across the table with the stranger, the immigrant, the orphan, the widow, and see if this old, odd story isn't our story. See if it doesn't remind you of our story. We make room for them because he made room for us. And in doing so, in making room for them, we rediscover him. That, that's what happened on the Mayus Road. That's what I see happening in these ministries with new friends, new families. And, and I'm excited to see what happens. I envision the day um, 
where the church becomes the welcoming party. Mm-hmm. Right? Imagine that vulnerable state and being a refugee in our country and imagine uh, in cities across our country as you're being resettled, every refugee who's being resettled gets an option. You get a small group who will walk along with you. They just want to help you, welcome you to the city and help you find your place in a new city. What would that do for the church? Instead of the rhetoric that you hear around immigrants and refugees, if we became the welcoming team, I think we can do it. So in what we're talking about initially in Nashville, I think we're not far off from being able to say, every refugee who's currently being resettled to Nashville, we should be able to have, I mean, how many churches are there in Nashville? Sheesh. There, there's no reason that we can't have a walk-along team, and you get an option to have a walk-along team to welcome you to the city, and then to learn what's happening in other cities, because it's not just Nashville. It's certainly not our church. We're late to the game. We're still learning. But it, to find out what's happening in Atlanta, what's happening here in L.A., and to say every family, what would it do? What would it do for the church? I'm not just talking about growing the church. I'm talking about growing the faith of the people who are in church. If we learn to sit at the table with the stranger and to recognize Jesus in the face of all people. I envision the day coming where the church becomes the welcoming team. But I think we must ground it. In fact, that we're not doing it because we're shamed into it by some pastor. We're not doing it because it's simply the right thing to do. We're doing it because we remember our own story. We're going to make room for people because he made room for us. And when we do... In the process, we get to rediscover Jesus the Christ. Uh, let me pray over you. I'm happy to stick around. would love to collaborate with you to find out what you are doing in your cities, to welcome the stranger, uh, to learn from what God is doing in your cities as you are welcoming refugees, um, and to remember our own story together. Lord, I thank you for these sisters and brothers. And I, I thank you for the way that you welcomed us. You offer us a full seat at your table. Lord, remind us of our story. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us to welcome people in the name of Jesus. Amen.